0: Gunnus T. How are ye? We're Candle of Tales and we're here to tell a story. Right, how are you lads? I am Aaron and I'm sitting down with my sister.
1: I'm Sarika and the two of us are founded Candle of Tales.
0: And we started off telling stories and we tell stories to live music on our monthly shows and we do plenty of shows in and around Ireland. So keep a lookout for those live shows on candlelitales.ie. We started off our shows with the idea that it's a donations based give what you can idea. And that's where we've started off this podcast. Give what you can, if you can at all. So if you want to be our patron, go to Patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales and you can sponsor us to keep up this kind of work keeping up the old traditional storytelling idea and now let's hear a story so Soroka yeah tell me a story
1: alright so there are many stories of the earliest people to come to Ireland but this is the story of the first a long way away And a long time ago, there was a land called the Isle of Merrow. And there there lived a man you may have heard of, from another mythology. His name was Noah. Noah had heard from on high that a flood was coming for the sins of the world, and he was building himself a great ark. And he was taking his family with him. On this ark? Well, most of his family, anyway. You see, like most of us, Noah had a troublesome side of his family. And in Noah's case, these were the children of his son, Bith. Bith himself was a bit of a black sheep. He was a light-fingered lad. And he was in trouble more than once for stealing. And so Noah, when the time came... Would not let Bith on his ark, but Bith had another family member who was wise in the ways of the world and the other world, and he went to his daughter, Kesser. Now Kesser was a little guarded with her father, she said she'd help him out, but only if he forsook the God of Noah from that day until the end of time and took her leadership, without question. And Bith had to agree to these terms. And then Kesser revealed to him that she had a god of her own, an idol that she had made herself. And Kessar's idol had a very similar message to the god of Noah. Kessar's idol told her that a flood was coming, and she must flee. But it told her more than that. It told her that there was a land, somewhere, far away. And if she could find that land, she might be safe from the wrath of this god she did not follow. Because this land was empty, free of any sin that anyone might consider a sin. And so Kieser set her mind and her heart on finding that land. She needed the right people to come with her. And those people came to her. Three times fifty women. Of art and skill. Women of every people of the world. There was the woman, German. There was Alba. There were Gothia. There was Traga, there was Espa, and many more. Now, these women were all of different tribes and different people, and all had different skills to their name, and Kessar took them all in. In fact, there were so many that she had to build another ark, and still more came until she had to build a third. Three great arks, each large enough to carry... 50 women and of course her father Bith and because Bith asked her nicely she also brought her brother Ladra now Ladra was a pilot and they would have need of a pilot in the long voyage ahead so that was a mark in his favour and she also brought a young man a friend of her father's and her brother's a young man named Finton. and they set sail These three arcs, on a voyage that would last seven long years. They sailed around the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, searching for this land that was unoccupied, this land that was empty, this land that was new and clean and fresh. But everywhere they went, there were people already. Everywhere they went, there was already sin. There was already humans living And as humans do, there was already things going wrong and the seeds of ill to come. And so they sailed on. They sailed around the Mediterranean. They found a passage up a river and they sailed all the way to the great high towering Alps. And there they found a land too inhospitable for them. And so they sailed back down again. But on their way, the first great tragedy struck them. There was a storm, with waves as high as the mountain peaks they had just left behind them, and one of the three great arcs was wrecked, and all who sailed upon it were lost. On they sailed. When the seas grew calm again, to the clear waters of the Mediterranean they sailed. They sailed through the narrow straits, and they sailed up around the coast of the Iberian Peninsula, and they came at last, they made land and were welcomed to a place in far north of Spain. And there, Kieser found herself one day in a tower, a guest of the people who lived there. And as she looked, and as she murmured, and as she consulted with her idol, she saw, far, far in the distance, something that might have been a haze, and might have been a cloud, and might have been... An island. So she called on all of her followers. She gathered them together and they set sail again in their two arks. And they sailed for this island in the distance. Now their passage was not easy. And in the landing they were caught by another great storm. And the hungry waves and the hungry rocks took another ship. And Kesser's brother Ladra, well he was wounded. He took a terrible wound from a broken oar shaft that went right through his thigh. But they landed safely. Well, fifty of them did. Or rather fifty three. Kesser. Forty nine women, and the three men, Bith, Ladra, and Finton. Now they decided then that they would divide themselves. Kesser took Fintan as her husband. Barfind took Bith and Alba took Ladra and they divided into three companies. Fifteen other women went with Bith and Barfind, seventeen each with Fintan and Kesser, Ladra and Alba because it was considered by them that it was the men's duty to keep the women satisfied. Now, this might have seemed like a wonderful task, but it was a heavy duty all the same. And Ladra's wound never healed quite right from the time he'd taken it in the landing. And so Ladra found himself unequal to the task of satisfying his wife and 16 other women, And not long after they landed, they had the first funeral in Ireland. And it was Ladra was buried there. Ladra who died of an excess of women. Now they came together again, and they divided this time into two companies. But this was a great strain on Bith, who was getting on in years, and soon they had to have their second funeral in Ireland for the elderly Bith who had died of exhaustion. And so now there were fifty women, and there was one man. And the time had passed at this point. That flood that had been promised them, well, it was not so easily deceived as they had thought, and the waters were beginning to rise. Now some will tell you Finton was afraid and Finton ran, but some will tell you that they came together, all of them, And they created such an energy together that it propelled that man onto a new plane, a plane where his dreams became reality. For Fintan, when he closed his eyes, in his dream he leapt a salmon leap. And when he woke, he was a salmon, splashing into the floodwaters as they rose high. Now Fintan slipped away from the women, and what became of them is not known. It is said that there is a cairn for Kessar, Cool Kessrach in Connacht, where she is buried under a cairn. It is said by others that for her disobedience to the god of Noah, she and all her followers were drowned, but then it's hard to see how they would have built a cairn. Whatever it was happened to Kessar. Fintan went on. He lived on as a salmon, swimming the waterways in the wilds of Ireland in and out of every river and stream and lake, every estuary, all around and up and down and through, getting to know Ireland from every angle under the water. And then, one day, the Salmon Fintan had a dream that he was a hawk, and when he woke, his leap was flight now, and he flew as a hawk. High over the hills of Ireland, looking down from above. and this bird's eye view, he could see Ireland, and it was as if he was seeing it for the very first time. A land that was wonderful, and new, and strange. He lived on, and on, alone, and changing, ever-changing. And one day, he saw people coming, from over the horizon. The people of Parthelon who came from Scythia, the Isle of the Dead and Fintan changed his shape, became a man and went to welcome them and for all the time of the Partholonians in Ireland, Fintan was their guide. But the partholonians they were accursed people and after a time a plague wiped all of them out and Fintan was left alone again. Now it was that Fintan changed again He changed into a deer with great spreading antlers and he lived in Ireland and knew Ireland from a deer's eyes. And when the deer was growing old the wild wolves chased him cornered him in a cave and snarled that they were going to have his flesh for their feast. And Fintan the aged stag he knew he could not fight his way out and so he asked them for a night of respite promising to come and lie down at their feet in the morning and the wolves agreed but that night Fenton had a dream he dreamed he was a wild boar with great curving tusks as sharp as razors and when he woke in the morning it was not an aged deer he was, but a boar, young and in the prime of his life. And he roared out of that cave and he scattered those wolves like they were ninepins. And so time went on for Finton; He was king of the forest until he aged. And when he aged, he did not die, but changed into something new and something strange and saw Ireland from another view. Now some of the people he was a guide to, the fear bollocks he mentored, he turned up to talk to the sons of Mill, but he hid from the Nemedians and the Tua de Danin, ashamed of his appearance, ashamed of the cragginess of him, how he was grey as a badger and almost mossy as a rock. And time passed on. Now there are many tales for how the story of Fintan ended. Some will tell you that while he was in the shape of a salmon, A young warrior named Fionn McCool caught him, cooked him, and ate him, taking on all the wisdom that Fintan had gained in his long and varied life. There is a story, too, that the great hawk of Achill, a bird that had lived almost as long as Fintan himself, that the hawk was afraid to go into death after its long, long life, and so Fintan went with it to ease its passage so that it would not die alone. But there are others who say that Finton still lives in the wilds of Ireland, in some shape or another. And if you keep an eye out, you might spot him one of these days.
0: All right, well... Happy 2019, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed the first of our podcasts this year, starting with Cesar, the um, first woman who came to Ireland. Yep. Quite an interesting story, Sorka. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you. Do you? I do, yeah. I do, yeah. You know me and my questions. So other cultures have a creation myth. Right, so there's the Tree of Life in Africa. There's loads of them. And the Mayan story with the the what is it, the corn of four different Yeah, corns.
1: the people of the corn. Yeah, that's
0: great. But they, those cultures have, you know talk about the creation of man all the time. But in Ireland, our oldest story comes from the Book of Invasions. And it's a series of stories about people who come to the land of Ireland. What's that about?
1: That's an interesting thing. I think there's a couple of ways of looking at that. I mean, there is, there is some... Scholars who will say that the the stories were there and that they've been lost. Um, Particularly in the Cessar story, you see a kind of a crossover with the Christian mythology. So Mm. Noah figures there as her grandfather. So you've got this idea that maybe the Cessar story was kind of a way of tying in um, this. Older this Irish mythology with the Christian mythology to kind of legitimise the Irish myth a little bit and the right. in the work of the Shanachees. There's also some um, idea that Cesar might be a, a remnant of an older creation myth. There is a brother of Cesar that is not Ladra, other than Ladra, that's, that's mentioned in some texts very much in a kind of a fragmentary kind of a way. And there is an idea that she might actually have been part of an older... Pantheon. Um, I think it's interesting, like where she's from, because the Isle of Mero mentioned in the story. It's it's a, that's actually a site in um, modern day Sudan. Sudan
0: yeah, I've, I've read a source that said it was Libya as well, though. No?
1: I wouldn't be that up in the geography there. are <laughs> Sorry,
0: <laughs> Northern Africa, basically, kind of. Yeah, uh, like. You know.
1: I know the Isle of Mero is in modern-day northern Sudan.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's just interesting that that we, those place names ex- kind of existed in the the four of these these myths in this mythic time people coming from the south or coming from so far away. And, you know, if you look back at the real history, I guess, people came from Africa. So <laughs> all people, people come from Africa, the stories came with them and somehow would trickle down into this way of, of us telling Well, there's
1: stories. there's some, I mean, I I would not by any means consider this to be archaeological fact, but there is, there, is, there are some theories in archaeology that people in Ireland actually did come here via northern spain and northern africa because yeah. and that they had landed on the west because the oldest sites in ireland there are a huge number of neolithic sites on the west of ireland hmm. which if people came kind of via great britain um that isn't there now in france you would expect to see the oldest sites on the east coast which you don't right so it's kind of like there's interesting little um there's interesting little links but i also think it can be a little bit um it can be a little bit going down the wrong course to to try too hard to to line up mythology with archaeology because they're they're very different things.
0: True, but it does it does have a bit of a cultural significance. Saying that we don't place all of the importance on human on mankind or womankind, you know, saying that the land was here first is quite a significant thing to say that people came here from abroad and the land welcomed them.
1: I think that's true. I think there's a there's a kind of a that's another way of looking at it is that if this is not a remnant or a fragment of a of an older mythology that's been lost then this is a very different orientation on our place in the world hmm. and a very different way of seeing human beings. It puts us secondary to the land hmm. in in a really kind of clear and definite way, you know, land first, people later.
0: And the lake sprung up to welcome Cesar and her women, the three yeah, as well.
1: there's almost like a consciousness to the land. And it's really interesting as well, you know, you have these different invasions in the Laraguala, which we'll probably cover at some stage in this podcast. You know, you have the Partholonians and the Nemedians, who I mentioned in that story. And then, of course, the Tuatha de Danann and the, the Firbulug, and uh, later the Celts, the Sons of Mill. Um, but there's this... there's this whole kind of like it's quite weird reading the book of invasions today because the stories all seem to go nowhere like you get the Cesar invasion and everybody dies yeah and then you get the Parthlon invasion and everybody dies and then you get the Nemedian invasion and everybody dies and it's kind of like it it all starts to feel like it's adding up to so what but actually this idea of precedence in storytelling was really significant for uh, old Irish culture. Um, So the precedent of, you know, the first death, the first um, judgment, which was in the Parthelonian thing, uh, which was like basically the first murder trial happened under the Parthelonians the first guest house was built by Partholon. the first uh, brewing was done and so Smith all of these you know. all of these things of like the first time something was done so it, it that almost ties back for me I think to this idea that there's a consciousness in the land mm. that it retains knowledge of people who've been here before even if the people themselves are gone right. which I think is again a really interesting orientation a really interesting way of looking at yeah ireland and where we are
0: now the first death was ladra and like what a way to go like i mean you know <laughs> we have that kind of joke uh, i think rue's favorite line is death by shnu if <laughs> <laughs> have you have any i mean fans um, like you know it was it, it was an overabundance of women and he just couldn't satisfy them it's just some way to go and we, we sometimes would have told this in our live shows that, uh, that uh, Finta McBoker looked at the 50 women and went, uh, nope, and ran for the hills. <laughs> but you orientated this story differently than, uh, today by kind of leaning on what he got from being with 50 women and where the masculine energy and the female, feminine energy kind of met together.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was something that kind of occurred to me recently enough. I was at an event in Luton, um, a fest for Imelda McCarthy and her work on the Fifth Province, um, which is an, an idea that she took from Irish mythology and she and her colleagues applied it to family systems therapy. Um, it's just a whole other thing we might talk to her at some point about that but um as we were over there I was really noticing that you know there were there were a lot of really strong women there and there were also a slightly smaller number of men and it just kind of started to occur to me um how much I respect men who respect women And what somebody said to me at that event was that the divine feminine summons the divine masculine, which was just a different way of looking at that story for me. And I actually did a a very impromptu telling, (laughs) telling of the Fintan story when we were over there, but it just kind of put a slightly different spin on that for me of like, okay, you've got this, you've got this assemblage of incredibly important women and you've got them, if you've got one man who's actually comfortable in that company, that's a hell of a man hmm. because actually most men are not comfortable in the company of women or an awful lot of men I know are not comfortable around, you know, if they're, if they're outnumbered, they kind of feel like they're fucking outnumbered hmm. and they get a bit freaked.
0: Not me. I love, I love women. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> but you know what, like, <laughs> you, no. you know what I mean? that I they're. Do. I and, and I actually do think it takes, um, I like I said I really I really respect men who respect women I think it really shows a good quality in a man
0: yeah and, do you know what I mean but it's interesting that idea of your like the feminine energy being brought up in a man and the, the masculine energy being brought out in, in women as well because it is that yin and yang that's that balance that's required and like so it was imbalanced with the story because there wasn't enough of of the masculine there yeah So that had a very physical repercussion because the women didn't have any children because there were no men around. But as you mentioned in the story, there may have been a little bit of confusion about how Conception actually worked back then.
1: Yeah, so this was a really interesting conversation that I had uh, a couple of years ago with a friend of mine, Owen Rogers, who sadly passed away last year. Um, Owen had done an awful lot of research on kind of goddess cults of the, the Middle East. And he told me that a lot of the time in those days and in those cultures basically sexual reproduction wasn't understood the role of men in sexual reproduction wasn't understood um which if you think about it kind of makes sense because women are only fertile once a month and people have sex a lot for reasons other than procreation and so it was it's not actually that clear a line if you're starting from zero so <laughs> There were a number Fair of enough. cultures, uh, there have been a number of human cultures uh, that basically assumed that, that this is just a thing that women do sometimes. Um, apropos of nothing very much, um, that sometimes women have babies and men are not actually required. And like the whole, the whole thing about, you know, patriarchy and, and marriage and control of women's sexuality is really founded on once people actually started to understand that relationship, it then became necessary to control women's sexuality in order to ensure that it was it was your kids that were getting the land.
0: Ah, right. Okay. So
1: you can kind of see how that all all began to play out quite differently
0: Good once that relationship was understood. Good man, lads. Yeah, fair <laughs> just take
1: care of all of the children, right? Yeah. They're all they're all grand.
0: <laughs> okay. Speaking of, that's that, that's a very interesting way to, to frame this masculine energy with the feminine energy. That balance that that comes into play. Again and again and again, when you look at these myths, actually, uh, throughout it, you'll always find a, some form of imbalance. And a lot of these tribes kind of had, you know, Parthelon had a bit of a problem. He was running away from a curse. Nemed came with greed. There always seemed to be something they were running away from. They were not quite right. And they yeah. they kind of had a, they ended up having a problem, right?
1: Well, I, I always I always think that's a really interesting one as well, in terms of like, they're all running away, as you say, from something in their kind of place of origin whether it be a flood or something self-inflicted and they all kind of move to a new place to start fresh but you know if you're the problem as many of us who have moved away from home understand Mm. you're you're right there when you unpack your suitcase there you are and there, all your problems are because you fucking bring them with you.
0: Uh, don't be, don't be getting too also. <laughs> <laughs> people are listening to this now from, or, from overseas going. This is just
1: an encouragement for people to deal with their shit where they are because it doesn't actually go away.
0: This is this is very true. White words indeed, <laughs> Druid Soroka. Now, uh, the last thing I want to touch on is. Again, this idea that people came from afar. In every story in the book, The Lower Gawala, the book of invasions, you have people coming from elsewhere to Ireland. So it's fair to say that our mythology is based on the fact that we understand our nation as being built up from peoples from elsewhere.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a really like that's a really important thing to look at today. Um, in the modern world in a modern world that considers itself more globalised mm. you know this was a tribal culture in Ireland but there was still that understanding that, that Irish people come from elsewhere Irish people are still coming from elsewhere and Irish people beginning in kind of the mid 1800s started going away yeah, and carrying their Irishness with them and then coming back again so there's a there's a whole mythology of exile and return and and I think it's really interesting that these these old stories are based on on this kind of voyage as well.
0: Cuz we do we hear that the myth, myth I guess that there's 60 million diaspora worldwide that claim Irish heritage and come back and celebrate Irish culture and and are proud to be Irish whether they're, you know, third, fourth generation American or Australian or whatever it is, they claim a link to yeah. Irish. There's a huge Irish
1: community in Latin America. The O'Higginses of of Argentina, (laughs) who were the great freedom fighters, Bernardo O'Higgins.
0: Oh, brilliant. I love it. But yet we don't hear the stories of those that came from Sudan or Libya that were the original Irish. You know, we don't have that conceptually... Well,
1: I think we've kind of lost that, Irish people today, uh, to our detriment. And I think it's important to kind of like actually remind ourselves of these stories that's one of the reasons why I think we we started doing candlelit Tales was actually you know it's always been my orientation that there is something valuable in these stories they Mm. may they may well not be remotely factual but I don't care because there's something very real about them uh, at their basis Mm -hmm. and in their foundation and I think it's really important to honour the fact that like there are Irish people who were not born in Ireland yeah both meaning Irish people who people who live elsewhere and who grew up elsewhere who claim Irish descent and people who live in Ireland who were not born here and do not have Irish descent.
0: It makes it more of a choice than being that being Irish thing. Well like like I,
1: I I remember having I remember being in a workshop at one point with people who, who um had come to Ireland from various different places. And I... I, It kind of... The the phrase that came to my mind was being Irish is something that comes up through the soles of your feet. (laughs) You know, that that, that thing of... of, And again, it goes back to putting the land first. If the land is first, then Irishness is something that is gifted by the land. Hmm. It's not something that the people hold. It's something that the land holds. Lovely. Which I think is a nice... I... I, Like, I prefer that as an idea. We all choose the myths that we live by and you know if I have a choice between Irish people are essentially the people who are homogenous racially and who you know look all alike and all came from the same place um, I much prefer the story of Sessor to that story because that story fucking bores me
0: (laughs) Well, uh, on that note, I'd like to, (laughs) well, I guess it's a good way to segue into what we're doing in the St. Patrick's Day Festival of 2019. So if you're listening to this prior to 2019 St. Patrick's Day Festival in March, well, we are collaborating with a number of artists uh, from South Africa, from Nigeria, um, from uh, a musician uh, with Libyan descent, Farah El, the uh, singer. She uh, is helping us with a show called This Land for St. Patrick's Day Festival and this is going to be a basically a retelling of the Book of Invasions with spoken word, with movement, with song and all the likes of it. So that's going to be very, very exciting because these are not our stories, these are our culture's stories and culture is created by an exchange with the people that are in the land and the land itself, or so we like to think. Isn't that
1: right? Yep. That's our that's our story, and we're sticking to it. And, you know, so yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that in Saint Patrick's Day Festival 2019.
0: The 15th and 16th will be in the National Concert Hall and the Civic Theatre in Tala. So looking Thank forward O'Shea. to that. Um, now, this podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. Thank you very much, Oshin, as always. The music was also created by Oshin, and if you would like to support us and help pay Oshin. For all of the time he puts into this, well, share it with friends. Some of them might like to show, share it on social media. Hashtag Candle It Tales podcast. And you can support us directly on Patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales. Anything you can spare really will help us, and will help gain a bigger, wider audience for these stories. We'd also love it if you got in touch with us. Uh, you can email your comments, your questions, or any stories you actually like to get. We've got a few requests in recently uh, from some of the posts we put up on Facebook. So we'll be getting to those stories. We promise. We definitely, definitely will. If there's anything else, email us at info at Find us on Facebook or Instagram or, or our website directly, candleatales.ie, where you can find all these podcasts as well. If you'd like to book a live show... We also do that, so uh, you can email us and ask about that because we do loads of stuff. And uh, so yeah, Uh, keep her lit, keep her candle lit. Thanks very much for listening. You.